Greetings in Jesus' name. You probably have seen the sign under construction. Well, the message that I plan to share this morning is under construction. And I will tell you why. Several weeks ago, I got a call from Harrisonburg, and I was asked to preach at the Peak Mennonite Church in September on a Sunday evening. And the title that I was assigned is Forgiveness in two parts. Number one, forgiving ourselves, and second, forgiving others. Actually, I said that backwards. The first part is forgiving others, second part, forgiving ourselves. And so over the past few weeks, I have thought about this assignment. As I have considered this assignment, the thought that keeps coming to my mind is, what can I say about forgiveness that the folks at Peak don't already know? Or what can I say about forgiveness this morning that you don't already know? You see, many of us have been indoctrinated on forgiveness from the day we were born. And so what can I say about forgiveness that you don't already know? Do you remember the first time you heard the story about Joseph forgiving his brothers? You know, the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers is one of the most beautiful Bible example of forgiving others. And we probably don't even know when we first heard it. And so we have been taught how forgiveness should work. We have been taught that if we want to experience God's forgiveness in our lives, then we must be willing to forgive others. I want to begin this morning by showing you how much you know about forgiveness. I will read several passages of scripture, and I will pause throughout these readings and let you fill in the words. You don't need to turn to these passages, but just listen and be ready to fill in the, in the blanks when I give you the signal. And so I will begin with Ephesians 31, Ephesians 4, 31, and 32, and get ready. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, even as God for Christ's sake hath. Okay, very good. Matthew 6, 9 through 14. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and... Thank you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also Very good. You're doing well. All right, here's another one, Matthew 18, 21, and 22. 
Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until... Thank you. Now, I will invite you to turn to Matthew 18. I want to read another familiar account. But here in Matthew 18, we have the story of a man who was forgiven a debt that was impossible to ever pay back in a lifetime. And so this man had this tremendous debt and he begged for mercy, and he was forgiven. Matthew 18, verse 28. This same man that was forgiven the debt went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, which is basically a day's wages. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even, I, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35, I'd like for you to read it with me. So likewise, my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. We know what the Bible says about forgiveness. None of these verses surprised you this morning, did they? They were familiar. We understand the concept. God forgave us. We forgive others. We don't forgive others. God doesn't forgive us. Okay, I got one more, and then we'll go on. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Get ready for verse 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ, how did Christ forgive you? How did Christ forgive you for bearing one another and forgiving one another? If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Turn to Romans 8. I'd like to read uh, the verse, first two verses of Romans 8. How did Christ forgive you? Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The word condemnation means the expression of very strong disapproval or the action of condemning someone to a punishment, sentencing. There is therefore no strong disapproval or condemning to those who are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we are made free. That is how Christ has forgiven us. Turn to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. How did Christ forgive you? I really like the word pictures in verse 14. I'm not going to make a lot of comments on them. But Colossians 2.13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Isn't that some interesting word pictures there? Was it easy for Christ to forgive you? Was it easy for Christ to forgive you? I don't think so. He prayed, he sweated, he suffered. He asked God if it was his will to take it away from him. But yet, he was yielded to the Father, and he died for you and I. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know, as hard as it is to forgive, forgiveness is the answer to the pain we feel from the wounds of life. God's forgiveness of us sets us free from the prison of guilt. Likewise, our forgiveness of others sets us free from the prison of bitterness. You know, when someone has wronged you and you find it difficult or impossible, you think, to forgive the wrong, you are in danger of falling prey to two harmful effects. And those two are guilt and bitterness. First, guilt, because you know that you should forgive. And second, bitterness. And bitterness may come in two forms. You may resent the thought that you are required to forgive, or you may become bitter towards a situation that harmed you or someone that you love. Bitterness and bondage go hand in hand. I want to share a story with you. Excuse me a minute here. Each week, Kevin Toonell was required to mail a dollar to a family he'd rather forget. How's that, you might ask? They sued him for $1.5 million 
but settled for 936 to be, to be paid a dollar at a time. The family expected the payment each Friday, so Tunnel wouldn't forget what happened on the first Friday of 1982. That's the day their daughter was killed. Tunnel was convicted of manslaughter and drunken driving. He was 17 years old at the time. She was 18. Tunnel served a court sentence. He also spent seven years campaigning against drunk driving, six more years than his sentence required, but he kept forgetting to send the dollar. The weekly restitution was to last until the year 2000. In other words, 18 years. Tunnel was to make the check out to the victim, mail it to her family, and it was to be deposited in a scholarship fund. The girl's family took Tunnel to court four times for failure to comply. After one court appearance, Tunnel spent 30 days in jail. He insisted that he wasn't defying the order, but was haunted by the girl's death and tormented by the reminders. He offered the family two boxes of checks covering the payments until the year 2001, one year more than, re than required, but they refused the checks. It's not the money they were after, but penance, they said, probably more like vengeance than penance. The mother said, we want to receive the check every week on time. He must understand we are going to pursue this until August of the year 2000. We'll go back to court every month if we have to. The article goes on to say, I know that most of us would never question that family's grief, but is 936 payments enough to demand from Kevin Tunnell? Will that family ever be able to put the matter to rest? In some ways, no, but will they ever try to forgive? How much restitution is enough? You know, if you were that family, how many payments would you require? Or better yet, how many payments do you now require of someone? What about the person who has offended you? What do you require of him or her, and how many payments? Bitterness is bondage. Forgiveness is freedom. And if you forget everything else I said this morning, that's fine, but don't forget that, those six words. Bitterness is bondage, forgiveness is freedom. I have a couple quotes here. Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness is the virtue we value the most and exercise the least. You know, we all love to be forgiven. We expect it and we want it, but so often we struggle to forgive others. We resist it and sometimes we even refuse it. Often we'd rather seek revenge rather than grant forgiveness. We'd rather push blame onto others instead of taking responsibility and asking for forgiveness ourselves. We say things like, but they wronged me. They hurt me, they stolen from me. My business partner stole from me and took away my business. They gossiped about me and distorted my reputation. They ruined my good name. He killed my family member 
I will never see her or him again on this earth. He caused the accident that put me in a wheelchair the rest of my life. My wife or my husband was unfaithful. We promised to love each other till the day that we died. You know, folks, these hurts are real. They are not small or imaginary. They have lifelong consequences. So how do we forgive such debts? You know, we can't just deny, we can't just deny it happened or whitewash it. We can't just sweep these things under the rug. So how do we forgive such terrible evil? First, we must understand that forgiveness is much as an attitude as it is an act. Forgiveness is as much an attitude as it is an act. As hard as it may be, we must come to the place where we say, Lord, with your grace and help, I am going to forgive, just like you have forgiven me. When you come to that place, here's what you're not saying. You're not saying, oh, it wasn't that bad, denying that there is a debt. You see... The debt is real. They owe you that debt. It's legitimate. But you are going to forgive the debt. And so here is a way that you can do that. Simply get a paper and pen. Well, it may not be so simply, but get a paper and pen. And on that paper, write what is genuinely owed to you. And here I have an example of how that may look. On that paper say, here Lord is the debt. Here's how they wronged me. Here's what they did. God, you already know all about it, but now you take it from me. I'm handing it to you. The debt is real, they owe it, but I'm handing it over to you. It's yours, Lord. You can choose to do with it as you please. It's not mine to collect anymore. Then you give it to the one. Who reaches out to take it from you. With his nail scarred hand. The hand that was pierced and bled for you. You see, the debt is no longer in your hands, but in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. The loss is still real. The wound is real. I don't believe in this thing called forget it. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't believe in this thing called forgiving and forgetting. But I do believe that time will heal many of our hurts. And I do believe that over time, the details surrounding our hurts will become foggy in our minds. But depending on the hurt, we may need to cry out to God for many days or even years for his mercy and grace to forgive. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 
I'd like to read 12 through 16. I share these verses as an encouragement to those who must forgive. You may want to mark these verses in your Bible, and you will notice that these verses say nothing about forgiving others. But what they do say is what makes it possible for us to forgive others. Hebrews 4, verse 12 through 16. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These verses are so powerful. Verse 12 reminds us that the word of God is living and powerful. Verse 13 tells us that there is nothing hid from God's sight. This situation that you are dealing with, this situation in which you must forgive, God knows that situation from one end to the other. Verse 14 reminds us of our high priests. Now in the Old Testament they had high priests, but now we have a great high priest. You may want to underline that word great. And this great high priest in verse 15 can sympathize with our weaknesses and was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the invitation in verse 16 is to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, we're ready for part two, forgiving ourselves. I must say that this part of the message is very much under construction. I will share what thoughts I have, and later if you have some input on this part or any of the message, I'd be glad to hear it. But first of all, I don't know if I ever heard a message on forgiving ourselves. Have you? I, I'm just curious. You all can tell me later. First of all, well, I said that already. But my question is, is self-forgiveness even a scriptural idea? Where does the Bible ever tell us to do any such thing as to forgive ourselves? Think about that. Now, that'll make the peak Sunday evening committee squirm if I say that, won't it? <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm going to say that up there or not, but I want you all to thank with me is what I'm trying to. 
uh, do here this morning. However, as you know, certain life events and life circumstances can bring into our experience a heavy load of guilt. And not all these events and circumstances are equal. Some of these situations God allows. We have no choice in them. Other situations we bring on ourselves. And I have two examples. Maybe you hurt or even killed someone by accident. Now you have acknowledged what has happened. You have been truthful and honest about the situation. You have done all you could to make reconciliation, yet you continue to carry a heavy burden of guilt. And people say to you, you need to forgive yourself. Maybe, example number two, maybe you hurt someone deeply because of your sinful actions. Again, you have acknowledged your sin before God and others. You have experienced God's forgiveness. You have done all you could to make reconciliation. But because you know how deeply others have been hurt, you continue to carry a burden of guilt. And again, people will say, you just, you just need to forgive yourself. What do we do with such heavy guilt? How do we find peace? What does the Bible say? Earlier, I read the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verse 1. And I'll read them again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you realize that these words are written by a man who previously made havoc of the church, it says in Acts, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison? Think with me. How could a man with such an evil history stand and preach before a crowd of people and know there may be people in the crowd who are still suffering because of his past actions. You know, it's very possible that some folks were still suffering physically from the abuse of being drugged off roughly to prison. Our bodies are fragile, not to mention the abuse of being in prison. There could have been folks in the crowd who were missing loved ones in prison or who died, all because of Paul's past wickedness. In Acts chapter 8, it tells us that Paul consented to Stephen's death. How must it have been for Paul now to face Stephen's family, his mother, his father, his brothers and sisters, his cousins and friends? How would you deal with such a past? From Paul's writings, I believe he never forgot his past actions. But I don't believe he carried a burden of guilt for his past deeds. You see, Paul had a new focus in life. And I believe that's what carried him through.
turn to Philippians 3, 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before me, which are before. And then he goes on later and talks about pressing towards the mark of the high calling. I thought too of Peter. I know more could be said about the Apostle Paul. I thought to a Peter. Peter was called to be a fisher of men. Peter was known for taking hasty action that he regretted later. Peter told Jesus, he said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. In a few short hours, Peter then denied Jesus three times. And it says after the third time, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I believe the denial of Jesus must have laid heavy on his heart. I'm going to read just a few verses from John 21, and you can go ahead there, go ahead and turn there if you'd like. But in John 21, verse 3, Peter says, I go fishing. What Peter was really saying is, what is there left for me to do? But to go back to my previous life, I have totally failed the Lord. I am guilty and cannot forgive myself. And so Peter and some of the other disciples went fishing. That day on the shore, Jesus invited Peter and the others to a breakfast of fish that are being cooked on a charcoal fire. I learned something I never knew before. But there are two times in scriptures that a charcoal fire is mentioned. The first mention of a charcoal fire is in John 18, 18. And just hold your finger there. And 21, and just go back to that because, folks, I found this so interesting. Now, the Bible calls it a fire of coals. I changed it to charcoal fire. But there is two places in Scripture, according to my research, and I want to have this right when I go to peak, so if I'm wrong, uh, <laughs> correct me. But the first mention of a charcoal fire is in John 18:18. 18, 18. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. For it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And as you know, this is the fire, or this is the place where Peter denied Jesus. And now the second mentioned charcoal fire is in John 21, verse 9. And it says, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. You see, there was a charcoal fire of denial, and now a charcoal 
fire of redemption. Isn't that beautiful? It's not all bad studying for sermons. <laughs> I was so blessed with that. Let's pick up reading at verse 10 in John 21. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there was, were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus is calling out, Come, come to the fire. Come to the fire and fellowship with me. You know, Peter may have thought in his heart that he has been disqualified, that he was beyond forgiveness, but now he is hearing the invitation to come. Peter could have refused the invitation to breakfast. He could have said, I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to risk failure again. But he did risk it. He came. You know, my thoughts on this are not totally organized, but we probably need to be more like Peter. We need to be risk takers. There is a certain amount of risk in forgiveness. There is a certain amount of risk in stepping out in faith. I'm still thinking about that. You see, for faith without risk requires no faith at all. For faith without risk requires no faith at all. To those who must forgive themselves, the invitation is to come to Christ. Peter came, and after being questioned deeply by Christ, was then given a great work to do. You see, true joy, true forgiveness is only found when we allow Christ to work in our lives. When we allow Christ to be Lord of every aspect of our life, we will experience forgiveness and true joy. Now that doesn't mean we're going to forget all our past mistakes. I think of a lot of our, I think that many of our past mistakes will probably come to our minds many times throughout our life. But however, when we allow Christ to work in our lives, we can go on in life with a purpose. I'd like to read two verses from Hebrews 12, and then we will close. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. We'll call for a closing song.